listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Judges 6. I encourage you to open your Bibles. I encourage you to turn on your Bibles if, if, if that's how you, you uh, use your Bible. Um, and, and yet, maybe I'm a little old-fashioned, um, but I love to hear the sound of turning pages as opposed to the, the click of the phone. There can sometimes be a few too many temptations in the middle of a sermon. Believe me, I know. Um, even while I'm preaching, I you know, could have my phone here and could, could be getting updates or text messages or whatever. I encourage you to set that aside and allow this to be a time for you to be in God's Word and nothing like the paper Bible, I, I believe, because you can write in there, you can highlight, you can, um, and I know you can do that on your devices, but there's something powerful about this. And, um, and so just encourage you to, to be bringing your Bibles, turning in your Bibles, underlining in your Bibles, because this is the Word of God and we need to take it and apply it into our lives. And, and so... Um, I want to start out just quickly asking you a question. Have you ever faced, and this is interactive, so a little bit of exercise in church. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front and, and, and give an example. But have you ever faced a mission or an assignment or a situation in life that was completely overwhelming? You just said, there is no way I could ever do it. Have you ever been there? All right, good to see some exercise and the rest of you, you are in a technical church building. Don't lie. You know, most of us have all been in that at one time and, and we could maybe put both hands like, oh yeah. And maybe even right now, you're facing one of those right now. It's like, oh yeah, I'm in some stuff right now that looks so hard, so impossible. There is no way that I could ever... I can't see my, my way out of this mess. I guess I'm just going to have to live like this the rest of my life. Don't believe that, folks. That is a lie. You don't have to keep living the way you've been living. There is hope. There is freedom. There is joy. There is peace that is available to you and to me in Christ Jesus. That's why we're serious about the Word of God. This is why we need to take this and we need to apply it to our lives. And, 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 and we're looking I mean, at a guy who was facing some very difficult circumstances in life, and God used him in a mighty, in a powerful way. And, and maybe you're facing that. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. Who knows what it is? You know and God knows. And, and there may be things here that others may know about. Say, oh yeah, so-and-so, they're struggling with that. There may be struggles that no one else knows about except you. Maybe it's thoughts of suicide. Maybe it's thoughts of ending a relationship. Maybe it's the right thoughts about ending a relationship, a wrong relationship that you're in, and you need to get out. We're looking at Gideon here in Judges chapter 6, and, and we see that he was in, as well as his family, as well as the Israelites, in some very overwhelming circumstances. And last week we saw he was discouraged, he was hiding. The Israelites had turned their backs on God. They started taking other gods and worshiping other gods. And as a result of that, God just, he just stepped away. He said, okay, have at it. Go for it. You people do it. 
just do what you want to do. And he just took that step back and they fell into the hands of the Midianites who were described as devouring locusts who would just come in and just take, pillage, destroy whatever they wanted. Oh, I think I'll take that goat. I think I'll take that cow. I think I'll take that wife of yours. I think I will take that slave. I think I will take your son. Whatever they wanted, they just helped themselves to leaving the Israelites incredibly helpless. I mean, their future, I mean, a lot of them were hiding in caves and in, in, in digging out spots so that the Midianites couldn't find them. They were storing up food wherever they could. It was tough going. And so we find our hero um, that we haven't seen too much hero-like stuff yet. We find him hiding out in a wine press threshing grain. And as we talked last week, that's the wrong place to be threshing grain. That's where you're supposed to be making wine. You're not supposed to be uh, pounding out wheat in the, in the wine press. But it was a hiding spot. It was a place he could hide and he could provide for his family. And so it says in verse 6 of chapter 6 of Judges um, that it says the Israelites were brought very low. Um, short form for that, they were at the end of their rope. Hopeless. It was just like how... How much longer until we are dead? How much longer until my family is taken away from me? And so we found our hero hiding in the wine press. And, and we see that in the wine press there, as he's pounding out the grain, an angel of the Lord comes to him. Doesn't turn out to be just an angel. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself that shows up and, and starts talking to him. And he says, you're my man, Gideon. You're the guy. You're going to be the one to deliver Israel. Well, we were praying for a deliverer, but <laughs> you must have. God, did you get the right coordinates on your GPS for this wine press? Because I think you came to the wrong wine press. You found the wrong guy. I mean, I'm weak. I'm from kind of a very weak, kind of very um, low-down family. I mean, I mean, there's just. And what does God say to him? He says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. That means mighty man of valor, someone who is ready to stand up, ready to stand up, stand up for God, ready to stand up to the enemy. Gideon, you're my man. You're the one that I am choosing to use. You know that is exactly how the Lord sees you today. He knows you far better than yourself. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, and I'm probably more than likely one or two of you are, might be like this, um, you may see yourself as somebody who consistently fails. Someone who consistently kind of keeps coming up a little short. Someone who maybe you feel like the losses are far more than the wins in your life. Or we compare ourselves. We compare ourselves with other people and say, well, look at him. Pastors do this all the time. I mean, uh, and, and we compare ourselves. And, and if you want to feel good about yourself, you can always find somebody a little lower. If you want to feel bad about yourself, you can always look to someone. And, and generally, we always look at others and we see ourselves, oh boy, you know, like I'm nothing. And, you know, I, I'm just a useless tool. Ever felt that way? Probably won't raise your hand on that one because we don't like to admit that, but I have. At times I've thought, man, I am just like... What am I doing in life? You know, and, and I, for instance, a number of weeks ago, we were in a church plant in Regina that my brother-in-law and a good number of my family members are part of. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to my brother-in-law preach. I look, man, he has five years under his belt of, of being a church planter. And I mean, I, I, I just see him and I'm like, 
He is the full package. I mean, this guy, I mean, he is so gifted. He's a good teacher. He's a good communicator. I mean, he's a good builder. He can build things. I mean, I, I can't even build myself out of, you know, like a birdhouse, you know. I mean, and, and this guy is built. I mean, he's just so gifted. I'm thinking, okay, and he's got such a good mind in, in all of this. And, and I can sit there and say, I've got nothing compared to him. Do you ever do that? Do you ever compare yourself with other people? Come on, do you? You ever do that? For sure, Yeah. And, and, and we do that, and, and, and we just kind of lower ourselves, and, and, and we'll do that, I mean, in business, we'll do that in the workplace, we'll do that with our stuff, our possessions, we'll look at what they have, we'll look at what I have, and we compare, and, 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 and really, those who compare themselves with others, I mean, it's just not wise, and, and we compare our marriages, well, you know, oh, they have the perfect marriage, you know what, they don't, no one does. Look, look at their family, look at their kids, you know, I mean, and look at mine, you know, or, or look at that work situation, and, and it can cause us to shrink back and just go through life in the wine press of life, just going through the motions day in, day out, just going, you know, pounding out the grain, and just think, I guess this is just the way that I'm going to live the rest of my life. We see failure and weakness, yet the Lord sees you as a mighty man, a mighty woman, a mighty teenager, a mighty child of valor. He sees you with strength, with power. No, not in yourself, but enclosed in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's power, there's strength that is available that we can be clothed in. And, and basically the Lord came to Gideon and he said, I'm going to use you. Gideon, you are the activity of God in your generation. You are going to be the one to set the people free. You are the one. You are my, my guy. And folks, I have news for you here today. You may not like it. You may not understand it. You may not even believe it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. You are the activity of God for this generation. You are. Because of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the ascension, because of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon us if we ask, if we have received Christ, and we have also been commissioned. We have been called, we have been commissioned to be the activity of God for our generation. And it's so easy, though, for us to sit there and say, well, if that's the case, why isn't God working in my family? Why isn't God working in my workplace, in my church, in, in, in our city. I mean, there's Christians all around. Yeah, because we're not understanding this. We are not going in the power that's already available to us. God, what are you saying? What are you doing? We are to be the conduit of, of God's power. Here in our city, in our region, in our nation. He's called, he's commissioned, he's gifted you and me. He puts us together in this thing called the body of Christ, the church, to be able to work together, serve together with different giftings, different abilities, different talents. And, 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 and we put it together and we work individually and then we work corporately and we, we forge ahead for the mission of God. But if we are going to be the activity of God, we need to get serious about the mission. Quit playing around. Not you kids that are doing work right now. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your parents. I'm talking to us as adults. Quit playing around. Quit just living life in, 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 in the wine press of, of, of weakness, the wine press of worry, the wine press of fear, and we need to get out of there. And so oftentimes we, we just live to survive. Live another day. Make it to Friday. Make it for pastors, make it the Sunday afternoon, you know, and, and then, you know, 
hit, hit the couch for an hour or two, and, 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 and then it's like, okay, get back into it Monday morning or Tuesday morning kind of thing, get, get back at it. We, we, at times, we're just living to survive. We're living for ourselves. We're pursuing the wrong things. We're pursuing this thing and that thing. And so we're calling today's message Mission Possible. But so oftentimes, we have the little impossible in front of it. And so the M, the I am in the word possible is to be smaller. So if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, write, write that down. Mission impossible. You have a choice to totally erase those, I, that were, those letters I am, or you can keep them there and just continue to live out in the wine press of life. And mission impossible, or mission possible, Getting serious about God. Today we're talking about getting, like, cut the, you know, let just quit going through spiritual motions. Let's get to the real stuff. Let's get serious about God. And um, in order to do that, the first thing, it starts with worship. It starts with worship. And this is simply not five songs on a Sunday morning, a message and go home. It's much more than that. Now, after the encounter for Gideon in the wine press, um, he doesn't walk out of there, you know, kind of just jumps out of the wine press and, you know, all of a sudden he's like, I've got it. You know, can't touch this. You know, can't touch this. You know, or I've got the power. You know, I'm, I'm there. Or, you know, I'm invincible. He doesn't walk out of there like that at all. Or, you know, he's not singing, it's the eye of the tiger. You know, he's not doing that. Or Katie's pair. Katy Perry's version of it, you know, I got the eye, eye of the tiger, hear me roar. You know, he's not walking out of the, the wine press like that, not at all. He's like, okay, okay, um, okay, what do I do now? What do I, I, mean, I mean, he still wasn't convinced about this calling that, that God put upon him, that, that Jesus, when he visited him there, he said he, still, he wasn't convinced about the, being the activity of God for the Israelite nation. Just like some of you right now, you're sitting here and you're not convinced. You're still not believing what I'm talking about, that you and I are the activity of God for our city, for our region, for our family, for our workplace. We are the activity of God. He was walking out still not fully there. And so he wants God to just kind of show him a little bit, a little bit more. He's not convinced. But let's look at what he does. Verse 17, you can follow along. And he said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, and he said I will stay until you return. So Gideon's like, don't leave now. I want you to show me a sign. So instead of just sitting around, you know, waiting for a sign, he gets busy. And Gideon goes back to the tent and, I mean, and it said that he wants to present something. He wants to give this angel visitor, this Lord Jesus, who he didn't even, I mean, understand the whole context and, and the greatness of, of what he was actually experiencing there. He's like, I want to give you a present, which is another word for offering. He wanted to give an offering. And so, so, so this is kind of interesting. Verse 19, look at this. So Gideon went into his house and, and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth, which is a tree, and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And so he did so. So it was basically, you know what, it, it looked like um, 
goat dip, right? You know, we do beef dip, you know, like take, take some bread, take some meat, pour some broth over it. This is what, what's going on here. And so you think, okay, why is he doing this? This is kind of crazy. Well, let's dig into it. Why is he doing this? He takes this goat. He has to go and, and kill the goat. He's got to dress the goat. He's got to cook the goat. I mean, he's got to bake some bread. And this is taking probably four to six hours. Depends if he gets help or not. He's in there. He's, he's, he's pounding it out in the kitchen. He's not going to the freezer. Hey, what's in here? Let's nuke something here. You know, no, he's got to go prepare it. He's got to work, work this. And he brings it out to his visitor. Now think about this. When the Lord found Gideon in the wine press, he was trying to protect just the little bit that he had. This grain that they pound into flour so they could make some bread. And these animals, this, this goat, I mean, this is a value, valuable animal in, 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 in the whole scheme of things. And, and Gideon is willing to surrender the very thing he cherishes, the very thing that he could be holding on to, He surrenders it, and he wants to give it as a gift to his visitor. Abraham, remember his story in Genesis? Was willing to sacrifice his son on the altar in order to follow God. He was willing to give it all. He was willing to let his son die. Romans 12 says, In verse 1, it says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. It says this is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is more than the words coming out of our tongues. It's sacrifice. It is surrender. It is giving what is valuable, and it's giving it to God. No strings attached. Not knowing if you were going to get anything back in return. You see, it's easy to sing the songs... I surrender all. I don't really like singing that one too often. We've sung it a few times here at Harvest because I don't like us to lie. Because how often we can sing that song, but we really don't mean it. I don't surrender. I surrender all except for, and we have a little asterisk, you know, my time, my money, my resources, you know, my family, you know, but I surrender all. No, no. Are we really there to surrender it all to God, to give it all to him? Or else we sing, love the song, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, and my bank account. Every hour I need you to have my own way and for you to bless it. You know, I mean, so oftentimes, I mean, we're not singing that, but how oftentimes are we living that way? You see, worship is easy to do. It's, it's easy to sing worship. It's harder to do worship. And here, Gideon was willing to give his finest gift. First and foremost, to this visitor that he didn't even know what he, was he going to eat it? Didn't know. Interesting. Verse 20, And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat, the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, and pour the broth over it. And he did so. Verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and unleavened cakes. And the fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. Boom! Wow, it's gone. Like, it's consumed. It's gone. And and yet, when we worship in full surrender, God's power shows up in a mighty way. It happened for Gideon. It can happen in our lives. Verse 24, it says, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. As Gideon gave in surrender, he gave this offering, the goat, the unleavened bread, remember, all in short supply, but he gave it even though it was costly, and he didn't know what was going to result from this. As he gave, he experienced, now, now write this down, it should be on the words up here, he experienced God's presence, 
He experienced his power. He experienced God's peace. Folks, there is no greater feeling, emotion in this world when you are walking in the peace of God, in the power of God, in the presence of God. And the thing that messes it all up It's you and me. It's not your kids. It's not your marriage. It's not your job. It's not all of this. It's you. We are to surrender it and say, God, I'm yours. I surrender it all to you. Presence, power, and peace comes through a surrendered life of worship. Look at Jesus in the garden. The night before the most horrific, the most powerful event this world has ever seen took place, He is there surrendering to his father, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And what happens there? He experiences his peace, the presence of God as he is there with him. He provides for him. He's strengthened. Over the last 16 months, we have followed a family's challenge. Um, And here's a nice picture of this family. This, This young guy... by the name of Chris, was in, when I was in college, I worked with junior high at the church where I grew up. And Chris was um, one of the, the junior high kids. He was a brat. I loved him because I could relate. And um, he grew up there in that church in a fractured home, church going home, but fractured. It was about five, six years ago, Chris started to attend this church plant that uh, family members of mine are involved in, and, and God started working in Chris's life and, and just restoring the years that were kind of taken, the years that, that he had chosen to live his own life, and God was working in his life. He came in as a mess, and God continued to keep working in him, and I would keep getting updates from my parents and from my uh, family about Chris and, and how then he met this godly Christian girl in, in, in their church, and, and uh, he and Robin were married, and, and um, he mar- they were married and, and just, just excited about God's plan. Chris started a new job. I find out they were pregnant, and little Zedekiah was born a little over 16 months ago. However, he was born with a very rare illness, and it's called a diaphragmatic hernia, which basically, I'm not going to ex- explain it really well, but hopefully you can understand it. There's a hole in the muscle that divides the chest and the abdomen, and so this causes great pressure on internal organs, or, uh, organs on the inside always shifting and moving around, pressure on the lungs, pressure on the heart, causing over and over again multiple system failures. And so it's meant that most, though, living in Regina, that most of his 16 months was spent living in Saskatoon and in Edmonton at the children's hospitals there. Yet has been completely amazing to watch this family's journey on Facebook. I encourage you to write down for the love of Zedekiah. You can take and search that on Facebook and you can just kind of just see some of their story and what God has done and some of the things I'm sharing with you here today. And it's been amazing to watch their journey. Not perfectly have they lived in this journey because it's been hard, but progressively they continue to keep trusting God. But sadly, on July 27th, he passed away. And his parents wrote this a few days after his funeral. We feel sorrow and sadness because he is no longer with us. 
but that we feel relief and comfort knowing he is with his perfect heavenly father. It is hard to fight these emotions because we feel at times we are not sad enough. How sad do you have to be when you lose someone you love? Is there a certain amount of time you're supposed to cry and mourn? Robin and I love talking about Zedekiah, telling stories, looking at pictures, watching his videos. We definitely have had our fair share of tears. But what do people think when they look at us and we don't seem sad? We made it through Zedekiah's eulogy at his funeral without shedding a tear. Does this mean our hearts are hard? Do we miss him? Do we not miss him enough? I really don't know. It's a battle we have to fight now. I'm very sad and I miss my baby boy. I miss his snuggles and his laughter. I wish I could see him grow up. I want to know who he would become. But I'm so thankful Jesus took his pain away. He has taken both Robin's and my pain away. We feel peace that Zedekiah is no longer in pain. Listen to this. God is so good. And we celebrate with joyful hearts. We give him praise for the miracles we witness and continue to live for Jesus. They're raising their Ebenezer, right? They're taking a stand. We are going to trust God. That's worship. That is surrender. We don't understand what is going on. don't know what it is, but we have given it to God. We've given the situation to God, and we know that he is going to provide us. And God has with his power, his presence, and with his peace. This picture here that is, is up here, just please keep that on. This was a park bench. This is another excerpt that, um, that they put on a couple months ago. And so here's this post. A couple of days ago, Chris and I went for a walk in Saskatoon. It has been a, a long time since Chris and I just walked and talked. We came across this bench and decided to sit down and with heavy hearts talking about our struggles. Chris suddenly started to laugh because this bench is labeled The Struggle. In that little excerpt there that you can see that little plaque, it's called The Struggle. I think we found the perfect place. It is amazing how whenever we try to run, God is always there. A friend saw this picture and the image was clear to her that the large rock is God and the small rock is Chris and I. First, the large rock is the only part of this structure that can stand alone. God is our strength. Second, if Zedekiah is the bench, then his life is bridging us to God. Zedekiah's life has a huge purpose. Folks, that is what we call worship. That is what it means to worship God no matter what. And as a result, his peace, his presence, and his power is available. And it's showing through, and it will show through. That is the way that we make a stand for God. That's the way we are the activity of God in our time, in our circumstances that we're going through. Stop holding on to our stuff. Stop holding on to our children, our marriages, our spouse, our health, our finances, our jobs, our possessions, our bodies, our minds. Lay it on the altar saying, God, it's yours, and just watch what he does. Watch what he does. Mission possible, getting serious with God, number two, is eliminate all rivals. Starts with worship, but then secondly, eliminate all rivals. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, um, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah 
that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here. And with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him to do. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of his town to do it by day, he did it at night. He was afraid. Are we often afraid? Yes, we are. And God's love still extends to us when we are afraid. And yet he still still pushed through. He was still obedient. You see, Baal was the god of the Canaanites, the god of fertility, and, and, and he was, I mean, to worship that kind of a god means that you're filled with automatically what starts being associated with that, a lot of immoral practices. God specifically told the Israelites, stay away from false gods. Do not take on the gods of, uh, of the Midianites, the Canaanites, whoever it might be that, that you face. Now, they didn't turn their back on the one true god. They didn't replace the one true God. They just, they knew the first two commandments. And, and, and the, you're to have no other gods. You're not supposed to make graven images. And, and so these, these idols, you know, they didn't replace God. They were still worshiping God, still calling out to him. But they were just in addition to the other gods. Just, just kind of covering the bases. I mean, they wanted to fit into the culture. You know, everyone else around has this image of Baal out on the front lawn. So we should too. And, and we, you know, we, we pray to the real God. But we, we, we put a little time in here too. Because, you know, you can just never be too sure. You know, it's good to make sure we're covered. And you see, and it all starts with a little compromise. That's, the Israelites didn't turn into idolatry just like that. Little, little compromise here. Little intermarriage. You know, she's hot. Yeah, I know. She's from another tribe. But you know what? God will understand. I'm just a man and I'm attracted. It's love. You know, and even though God's word says I'm not supposed to do it, you know, God's word has certain standards when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships. It's okay. You know what? We know better than God. Oh, you do, right? Well, then that's when God just starts taking the step. Have at it. You start messing things up. Look at where our society's at now. Rainbows get painted on sidewalks or on crosswalks in the middle of the night. Before God uses us in a mission, however, he has, we have to do war against the idols that are inside. We can't do battle with the enemy outside until we've gone to war with the enemies within us. You say, I don't have idols. I mean, I, come to my house. You, you, there's no graven images. I, you know, I traveled one time. I was even thinking of buying this, you know, little, little kind of, you know, wooden um, thing in this kind. I didn't buy that. You know, I don't have any wooden things I bow. I mean, how crazy is that? People actually get down and they bow, oh, you know, and present food and do different things to these idols. I mean, how silly is that? Like, who does that these days, right? Yeah, we all do. Just differently. We're, we're just a little you know, perhaps a little more um, um, with it, a little more elaborate or, or um, special in how we go about doing this. I recently read that through the five main streams of media, radio, television, newspaper, magazines, and internet, that at least 360 times a day we are bombarded with advertising. 
That doesn't even account the billboards that you will see. Um, even as you walked up here today, you saw some advertising as you walked up on our church trailer, Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. You will see 360 images just on the five I listed, not even the billboards and, and the car wraps and the things on buses that you'll see when you leave here today. We are bombarded with these kind of things. We are constantly being told, you don't have that, you need that. There, there's an advertising out there. I didn't even Google, I easily could have Googled it, found it. Um, but their, their advertising is, I want that. I want that. And, and it's ingraining that into your mind. You see something, I want that. You know, and it's just like, well, you want it? Well, get it. Charge it. Spend your life savings on it. Do whatever. You know, just, just buy, buy, buy. Make yourself happy. And, and we look for our joy and our satisfaction and think, if I just get this, whew, I will have made it. And then all of a sudden, it's outdated. It's the old model. I need to get a new one. We look for our joy and our satisfaction in these things, and all it is is like drinking salty water. You ever start drinking salty water? All you're going to want to do is you keep drinking. Even though it's salty, you just keep drinking, 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 and it's not satisfying because it won't satisfy you. Satisfaction is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And the Okanagan folks, we get nailed with this big time here. I mean, consumerism, materialism is all across Canada. I know, I mean, it, it is, but here it's like consumerism, materialism on steroids. It is, because we're smaller. There's a lot who have moved here because they want to move here. There's, there, there's just so much of that sort of entitlement that goes on. And so we look, we see, we had friends here from Alberta, and they're like, look at the Lamborghinis, you know, and, and, and all of this going on. I mean, it's really kind of funny. And, oh, I'm just kicking myself, because then one day after they left, we went to Gyro Beach, and right out in front of Gyro Beach, I'm sad for this, not really, it's kind of funny in some ways, because I saw some guys pretty worked out, a BMW hit a Lamborghini. I mean, fiberglass on the ground, I mean, guys were just worked up, you know, walking around, this was their car, you know, it was just like, really? I mean, I guess I'd be mad too if somebody hit my... Saturn, you know, or my whatever, right, you know, but I mean, it, it's just like, oh man, like I should have videotaped it, it would have been so hilarious, and we get so worked up and so hot and bothered about, I recorded one day, if you want to see it, it it's on my phone, I, I could play it publicly, but you might know the guys, I saw two guys in the Superstore parking lot just getting at it, I thought, oh, I'm going to record this, and then I'm there in case something, you know, like, happens, you know, and, and they're fighting over a parking spot. I mean, it was, it, it was comical and yet sad, but then this poor lady, I mean, sweet lady, came up to me, I don't understand this, and she said, I said, where are you from? She said, Brazil, and I said, this is called uh, road rage. Oh, I've heard about that. I said, yep, this is what it is. This is what we do here when, we, when somebody takes our parking spot, so watch out. I said, no, I didn't say that to her, and, and said, I'm sorry, I apologize for us Canadians that, that we're like this sometimes, you know, because like, I'm entitled, I, I'm owed this, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then second of all, he said, love your neighbors as yourself. No, we, we, you see, we get that really far off. We love our stuff. We love our agendas. We love our own possessions. We love those things with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. We might then start to love our family and then maybe some others. And Jesus says, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then love others. Then start considering taking care of yourself. It's that me third kind of thing. Love the Lord your God. And we tend to love stuff and pleasure so much more. We have our rights. We're entitled. One of the greatest idols that we have here in Canada is right here. Our wallets. 
Some, some guys, I, I mean, I, I try to keep my wallet as small as possible. Some guys, I, I like, they pull it out and they've got this like, man, how does that even fit in your pocket? Like, that's huge, you know? Like, I think my brother-in-law is one of those. Uh, I mean, it's just this massive thing, right? And it's just like, wow. And, 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 and what do you got in there, you know? And, but, but this defines us. I mean, this, you know, and not the size, because size doesn't matter on, on some of these kind of things here. It's our portfolios. It's our financial statements, our investments. That's what defines us, our possession. That's... You know what, that's what, what really kind of shows who we are. Um, see, we can easily say that we love Jesus. Oh, yeah, love Jesus. Love, 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 love Jesus. Take a look at your financial statements. Take a look at your visa, your bank accounts. Your... How much do you love them? Taking an honest look, it will show you what you truly treasure when you look at these things, where your heart is truly set. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, excellent book, he wrote this. He said, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home, and before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. And I'm using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the wars that are raging. He wrote this during the Gulf War, but even today we have wars that are raging. I don't think, that, uh, I don't think much about people who are perishing, Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first at what man can do, not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness, and I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a war, wartime mindset. A wartime mindset means you sacrifice, you give together, you pull together in order for victory. And that's what God calls us to do as even the North American church. No wonder the church is so often powerless in North America. No wonder we see morals in societies, in society slipping and even within the church itself is because we don't have the wartime mentality. We're here for a good time, not a long time. God, just put a little, little God dust on, on, on my plans and I'll continue to go out and live however I want, however I see fit. There's nothing wrong with making money. Making good amounts of money. Work hard. Save hard. Have fun in life. I mean, God, I mean, he's given us this beautiful area of the world to enjoy. But do you treasure it? We are not to treasure it. We are to steward it. Make wise choices. Are you generous? Are you honoring God with the resources, with your time, with your talent, with your treasures? Are you giving yourself sacrificially to the mission of God? If you were to look at your, your statements after six months or after a year, it will show you what you treasure. And if you're eating out on a monthly basis is more than you give to the Lord's work, you treasure that more than you treasure the work that God is doing around our world. If our entertainment budget, our Starbucks, our Timmy's or more, is more than we give to the Lord's work. Yeah, shows right there. A little bit of a problem. problem is, or the good thing is, I have no idea where you're at. You have no idea where I'm at. This is something we do personally, but it is something that we will give an answer to God for, how we have stewarded what we've been given. But this is such an important issue that halts spiritual passion. We won't 
will eliminate some rivals, but it's eliminating all rivals. And, and, and this is what Gideon, I mean, he went at night. Yes, he was afraid. He tore down the altars of Baal. I mean, this was a pretty big deal, taking a bull to be able to pull it down, sacrificing another one, putting up um, an altar of God, and sometimes taking a stand for God. He didn't know how this was going to turn out. He was scared of his family. What were their reactions going to be? It's, it's like declaring like Joshua did or declaring like Gideon did here in this statement. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I will serve him no matter what. Well, how did it go? Sometimes it'll go well. Sometimes it won't go well. Yet God is sovereign over all. Would his father turn in his own son? Here would Gideon's dad kind of like say, my son did that. That was wrong. Go get him, you know, deal with him, people. And, but the next morning, we see what happened. The people woke up and they're like, who did this? Well, if you get 10 people to do something, you're not going to have, there's not going to be much of a secret, right? And, and so somehow the news leaked. Maybe somebody saw him. Maybe somebody couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. They went to go stretch and, you know, just check, check, you know. What's he, that's Gideon. What's Gideon? Well, somehow they found out that it was Gideon. And, and so the townspeople thought, who did this? It was Gideon. Let's get him. And don't you think Gideon would be just a little freaked out now, knowing that he's in big time trouble for this? Let's kill him. The obedient life is not always the easy life. Write that down. The obedient life is not always the easy life. Yet, it is the way to life, to real life. Yet we see Gideon's father actually comes to his son's defense. You can read those verses following in there. And, and, and he basically said, hey, if Baal is so great, if Baal is so amazing, let him defend himself. Let him take care of Gideon. May he strike Gideon dead. You know, like, and people are like, oh, no, yeah, good point. Hmm. And it's in this moment, as he's obedient He's a little bit afraid, wondering what's going on. God does something only God can do. He changes the hearts, the minds of the people. And it's like all of a sudden, boom, fingers snapped. And they're like, oh, this is right. And it says that the hearts of the people changed. And, and because of one man's obedience, the people's hearts were being turned back to God. Who's waiting on the other side of your obedience? God can change hearts, he can change lives that we can preach, we can yell, we can write, we can, you know, I mean, fuss over for weeks and months and God can do it just like that. Who's waiting on the other side of your obedience? God can do that. And on that day, I love this, I mean, his name gets changed to Jerob Baal, they call him now, which basically means Baal Destroyer. That's his new name. People are like, no, that's not Gideon. That's Baal Destroyer. I mean, this guy, I mean, the wimp in the wine press becomes Baal Destroyer in a matter of a day. Why? He started with worship, continued on by eliminating all rivals. I will do what I am told to do. I will be obedient. Here's a guy weak, yet standing in the power of God, Baal Destroyer. Well, in verse 33, we see, though, it, this is pretty, like, shining moments going on here, and all of a sudden, boom, news comes. Verse 33, the Midianites are teaming up with others to launch an assault on Israel, and it's just like they're gathering their resources, they're gathering people together. Verse 34, but listen to this, I love it, I love it, I love it. But the Spirit of God clothed Gideon 
And he sent messengers to, to call the soldiers of Israel together. All of a sudden, he's, he's commanding out orders. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed him. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God clothes you, empowers you, indwells you. Don't believe it? Fine. But it's true if you are a follower of Christ. Start walking in that power and that strength. And Gideon in the power of the Holy Spirit starts to assemble the army. He sends out the call. Come, gather. Come on, we're going to get after it. We've got to go. Come on, it's time to go. Yet he's still a little unsure. This powerful leader shouting out orders, but he's like, okay, God, if you're with me, please show me a sign. Just, he wants another sign. And are you sometimes like that? Like, God, you know, like we're coming up with a big fleece thing that's going on here, and, and we're going to end this right away here, but, but you need to, to hold on and listen to this. He says, okay, God, I'd like a little sign that you're with me. And so, so he takes a, a piece of wool, he places it out at night on the ground, actually on the, the threshing floor. He takes it and he puts it out there, nice, you know, a uh, piece of ground. And he says, in the morning, the, the, the fleece, it'd be great if it would be wet and the ground is dry. So he goes, next morning he goes, and this wool fleece, it is like drenched. I mean, he's wringing the water out of the ground around him is dry. Okay, that was a little easy. I, I guess that can sometimes happen. Like maybe it's just the, the wool kind of attracted. Wool can attract moisture maybe. That's it. You know, maybe you didn't understand science and all that stuff very much. And so, so okay, okay, God, just again, just, just please, God. I mean, let's just do it the reverse one. May, may the ground be soaking wet and the wool, piece of wool that was wet today may be dry. And, and so God honored that. And uh, he goes and, and he places it in that way. And, and uh He's like, oh, so you are with me. Have you ever done that kind of a thing, laying that fleece out before God? I, I remember, I mean, laying out some fleeces a little over five years ago when we were looking at moving to Kelowna. It was like, I, I remember looking out, I mean, we were here visiting and, and kind of wondering, okay, is this where we're supposed to go? And I remember, like, there's some clouds in the sky and, and I was looking for the words, come in this, seriously, I was like, God, if you could show me something in the clouds right now, that'd be awesome. And, you know, I'm going through my Bible. I'm not finding Kelowna anywhere in the Bible, you know. I, I, you know what? I mean, you just start doing this. Well, if this car drives this way and doesn't turn that way, then I know that that's from you. And, you know, and we start laying out the, the, these kind of things. God, give me a sign. But with Gideon's fleece, just so we understand, his main question wasn't whether or not he should be doing this. He just wanted to know, God, are you with me? Are you going to be with me? Because he's already assembling the army. He just wants to know, have you got my back? Are you with me, God? Are you really on my side? You see, the majority of God's will for us, you want to know God's will? Get to know his word. Majority of God's will for your life and my life is found in the word of God. It is God's will that we be thankful people, no matter the circumstances. It is God's will that we love our families. It is God's will that we pursue holiness. As we are understanding the general revealed will of God in the word of God, he starts to get more specific about the specific word of, will of God that he has for us. Jesus said that it's a foolish and a sinful generation that looks for signs or looks for fleeces. And here's something, folks, that Mission Impossible, getting serious with God, this is the third and final thing, understands that the cross of Christ is our wet fleece. The cross of Christ is our wet fleece. The cross of Christ where his love was poured out for you and for me. 
is that reminder to us that he is with us. He is for us. Romans 8, 31. Write that down. Read it this week and read out the rest of the chapter. If God is for us, who can be against us? He is with us. He is with you. You don't need a fleece. If you have Christ in your life and you're pursuing his will and and we're, we're desiring to worship him, again, not perfectly, but progressively, we're eliminating the rivals and, and at times we need help when it comes to eliminating those rivals. We need brothers and sisters walking with us and understanding that God's got our back. And so today I wonder, where are you at? What are you facing? What's your mission impossible? And as you take these three things we've talked about here today, the I am, at the start of that, grows smaller and smaller and becomes mission possible. What needs to be put on the altar today? What needs to be taken to the foot of the cross? You see, our new altar is the cross. That's where love poured down from the cross. Forgiveness, mercy, hope. And it comes down to us when we find ourselves surrendered at the foot of the cross. What do you need to surrender today? Is there something you need to come clean on? Are there some rivals that are in the way? Today at the, as we worship, and the band is going to come in a moment, and we're going to sing a song about God's amazing grace, the chains that are broken by his grace through, through Christ. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you, if you need to make the walk today and just come and spend some time, um, it's a little crowded up here, but you just want to come and, and just stand and surrender and just say, God, I'm yours. You know you need to nail this home. Otherwise, you know what? We end the service, we eat some snacks, we drink some coffee, we take down, and we go home. If you want to nail this home and say, God, I surrender to you. I want to worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords in all areas of my life. I encourage you just to come and, and to make that stand for him. It's easy to stand where we're sitting, but to nail it home and love to talk with you and pray with you. Uh, brothers and sisters here want to do that. This just doesn't want to be wham, bam, thank you, get out. God's doing a work and, and there's areas that you need prayer for and just need, maybe just come and just make that stand. God, I want to make that stand for you. This is my declaration. Just as Gideon brought his offering and presented it, bring your life and say, God, I present my life, do with it whatever you want. And when he does, his peace, his presence, his power, available. And then we're mission ready for whatever he asks. Amen. Let's stand together and worship, and let's sing together. We, even right now, we ask you to work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that areas that we need to surrender, areas we need to give to you, we would do it willingly. It's not easy. It can be a blow to our pride, our own self-sufficiency, but it's a life of surrender that is worth it. In reality, Lord, in so many ways, the front of this facility here, this place should be full. But Lord, you move in hearts. We don't want an emotional kind of movement. We want a movement where we say yes to you, no matter the cost, no matter what, I surrender to you. Eliminating all the rivals, and desiring to just 
put ourselves under the waterfall of your grace at the foot of the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace.